HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Brooklyn Botanic Garden, a stunning 52-acre garden in the heart of Brooklyn, open year-round. Learn more at bbg.org. This week, Meat and Three is taking you to market and all over the world, from Newfoundland to Tunisia. Well, a lot of us think of, you know, the British Empire trading things like spices and sugar and silk. But you write that it actually began with salt cod from Newfoundland. <laughs> there was a port closure in Tunisia, which was horrible. I mean, it was months, boats just setting on the water waiting to go and they couldn't go anywhere. And we'll learn about how markets have changed, whether because of their customers or the climate. A few years ago, something around 10 years, it was totally different. It almost manifests itself to almost smelling like an old fire pit. When you, mm-hmm. when you put it out, it has that sort of charcoal-y smell to it. It's not good for wine. Join us this week on Meat and 3 for our global market tour. And don't forget to subscribe to Meat and 3 wherever you listen to podcasts. Hello and welcome to Snacky Tunes. I'm one half your host, Greg Bresnitz. This week, I head down to Lima, Peru to talk to the legendary chef Virgilio Martinez, who's redefined the cuisine of his homeland by diving deep into the country's incredibly diverse ecosystem and indigenous ingredients. His flagship restaurant, Central, is one of the most acclaimed and groundbreaking restaurants in the entire world. Then we head into our archives with one of our all-time favorite Los Angeles performances, Tropa Magica. We head to Dangerwood Records Studio to talk to the East LA natives who are longtime fixtures in the local music scene and how their unique psychedelic cumbia punk sound is sure to get you on your feet and moving. So sit back, relax, and here's another episode of Snacky Tunes. We talk about food, we talk about music, with musical dudes, finger on the pulse, Snacky Tunes.
Hello and welcome to Snappy Tunes. I'm one half your host, Greg Bresnitz. I'm here in wonderful Lima, Peru, at the brand new, newish Central. Yeah, yeah, it's been new for yeah one year. With uh, Virgilio Martinez. Virgilio Martinez, yes. So nice. I'm, my, my Spanish is so... No, it's, it's good. I mean, you've, you've been here traveling, so it's, you have time to learn. It, it's time. I need more time. <laughs> Uh, I, one of the things that's interesting uh, about the history of the, the country of Peru is you talk about growing up in a bubble in Lima uh, due just to the way that the different regions and the, the different people were separated. For the people who don't know the history, can you set the stage where you were a young child and, and what kind of the cross-communication or lack thereof were between the different regions within the country? Yeah, it was, it was a quite like a funny situation because we were living in Lima and Liga. Lima was uh, the place where uh, we were just like, uh, you know, we didn't think about going to, to the Andes and the Amazon or just going to Cusco and Arequipa because it was dangerous and it was like, a, I mean, we didn't have any expectations about, uh, you know, knowing our territory, our traditions and stuff like that. So we were all the time just in Lima and Lima for us was Peru, which you know, in the end it, it is not Peru as, as you maybe you may you may have seen like you know Peru is, is more like uh, what you see in the Andes in the, the Cordillera de los Andes what you see in the Amazon in the jungle. Uh, so uh, you know it took me a while to to to, to, to understand that, that 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 Lima is just a little bit of of the modern Peru which is not in the end you know. What, what you feel when you when you when you visit Peru, and was it just um, you and your you know your immediate family and friends that saw Lima as the center of Peru, or was it the general viewpoint of people who lived in the, the city? And was it the same for people in Cusco? Cusco was the center of the world. The Andes was the center of the world, and it was segmented. Yeah, yeah, of course it was. I mean, like, uh, yeah, uh, it was, a, it, it, it was, about, it was a more about the, our education. I was educated. Uh, in a way that uh, I felt, or, or I was told that, that Lima was the, the, the epicenter of everything. So he wanted to, if I wanted to, to, to do something, or, or just you know like a being success, it had to happen in Lima, or it may be in if you go like uh, to other other country. Uh, uh, I remember these times, let's say about twenty years ago, when you know we were just like. We were living on, on, with terrorism and crime, and so it was like a, not a pretty good place to, to visit, which is now the opposite. So uh, now it's a good place to visit, live my safe. Uh, yeah, you can travel. You can, you know, the whole Peru is changing. But yeah, you know, you know, for me it was it was difficult to understand. You know what what was about being Peruvian because uh, I'm not. You know, I'm not. Uh, 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 when I go to the to the Andes and the Amazon, I'm not, I don't feel like a, a local Peruvian there. Uh, even in Lima, like it's difficult to understand, you know, my, my situation as a as a Peruvian. Um, so it's, it's a matter of identity. So nowadays, like uh, it's uh, it's getting like, easier for us to understand, like uh, you know, our identity as a Peruvian is is a whole um, this kind of melting pot of you know diversity and and. and and things that uh, you know are happening in the same in the same cities, and uh, in the end, we're getting along very well. And what is it in two thousand nineteen? Does it mean to be Peruvian and a Peruvian chef? 
Well, being a Bolivian chef is about uh, knowing your territory and, and going deep into, into places that probably you've never thought about being before. Uh, uh, you know, you, you're being a chef here is, is, is kind of being an, an explorer. It's, 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 it's about being somebody who is uh, looking for his own, uh, his, his own heritage, uh, traditions and, you know, uh, nowadays like uh, I, I got this feeling like for me being a chef, I, I, I have to be responsible about like knowing what happened, you know, bef before the colonization, you know, what what we Peruvians we used to eat like a thousand of years ago. I mean, like, that was for me like I have this curiosity, and you know, um, you know, from my kitchen, I wanna, I wanna, I wanna, from my kitchen, from my food, for the food we serve, I wanna, I wanna express that. When you were younger, you left, as you said, that you either were going to make it in Lima or you had to leave to make it. You you came back. What was it? Was it a dish or an ingredient or a moment that that made your eyes begin to open about the diversity of Peruvian ingredients? You know, it was it was as simple as as one 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 bunch of of of, of potatoes uh, inspired me to see how much diverse is 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 the whole the whole country. Uh, I was I was I was told once that we had like. 3,800 varieties of potatoes and, and you know I had only one recipe to make a potato puree <laughs> 20 years ago so I started to, 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 to ask myself like, why, why, why should I follow recipes that are coming from far away in, in Europe where you know I'm here in the Andes where the potatoes are, are grown and, and you know that could be one example of the potato. Then uh, we just go into the Amazon and see all this amazing variety of, 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 of uh, fruits, cacao, uh, coffee, you know, coffee plantations everywhere. Then I, did, I discovered, you know, you can have like a, um, a whole great 100% um, Peruvian uh, fine dining experience using only Peruvians coming from Peru. From olive oil, cacao, coffee, um, you know, meat, fish, even fish from the river, from the Amazon, fish from the coast, from the Pacific coast, uh, vegetables. So, I mean, for me, it was it was all about biodiversity, you know, and ingredients. Once you locked into coming home, the expansiveness of Peru, Peru, and the unfathomable amount of ingredients. One of the quotes that you have saying is, we know nothing, that you are a work in progress. Did you feel humbled by the expansiveness of it? How did you begin to tap into the local knowledge? How did you begin your education? And what was the current state of Peruvian cuisine once you know you got outside of Lima and started exploring the rest of the country? You know, it's a, it's a good point just to start to, to, to if, if, if we just start to say like, okay, we, 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 do, we know like uh, very little or probably we know, we know just like probably nothing uh, because there's so much to, to be discovered and there's so much, there's so much things waiting for us. Uh, yeah, I mean, and also we, we, we need to, we need this curiosity, we need, we need to, we need to, to find uh, ingredients. But well, we're not we're, we're not supporting like uh, you know um, consuming local ingredients uh, because there there are many of course uh, I think we we need to consume like local knowledge and this kind of we are trying to, to, to you know to encourage people to to, to, to you know to, to 
to to be focused on 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 on, on research on on you know on working with, with projects that you know that have, have something you know to, to give uh, to people to share. I mean, like um, for us, it's very easy to, to to see farmers and people working on the fields. Uh, for us, it's very easy to see uh, uh, people with, with needs. So, I mean, we're in a position to help. That's it. That's an interesting distinction about taking just you know you could go do sourcing, cook it back, cook it back here, but you have a research center here. What, what is it the, the focus of it and what are the type of projects that you feel are important to the platform that you have and, and is necessary to continuing the growth? Well, yeah, the just about giving visibility to farmers, uh, to people who is producing amazing stuff and, and great produce that probably is getting lost in the Andes and in the Amazon. It's very sad to see how people are struggling uh, in the markets, you know, just trying to sell or just trying to survive, you know, with, with this amazing stuff. And of course, we are in a position uh, where fine dining is becoming a responsibility of you know provoking change changes. We are not uh, ashamed to say like uh, we are educating people in our in our restaurant. Uh, we're educating the chefs. We're educating ourselves. We're educating our customers. Uh, so it's it's a whole process of of understanding our our new revolution if we could be understand that way, that way we are trying we are in the process of, of you know of, of change and and changes are happening any anywhere in the world you know and, and this is important and, and I think yeah we are responsible of, of making them I mean, I mean we have to do change we have to provoke we have to provoke changes that's it where does climate change come into your cooking the, the, what do you mean? The, well, how does the effect and your thoughts on that as the platform and how it begins to affect the region? Because Peru is, you know, minus 25 meters below sea level, all the way up to 4,000. So some areas are almost immediately affected because of rising waters and some it will take centuries to be affected by it outside of changing weather patterns. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we see many changes that, you know, like uh, when we start to, to work with people who, were uh, growing um, ingredients, let's say like uh, corn and, and uh, quinoa in the Andes, uh, we're seeing how, how these people were affected by climate changes and, and, and how the, these people were just going up 1,000 1, meters just, you know, just because of the, of the, of the whole uh, climate which, which was changing in the, in the mountains. So uh, for us, uh, I mean, we're getting, we're having this access to, to, to knowledge about, you know, what's going on with people. So uh, um, I know that, uh, you know, if you have to work harder for some, some ingredients, I mean, uh, we have to, 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 to put this, you know, this, this uh, situation in a, in a uh, I mean, we, we have to make it visible. Like, you know, some, some people are struggling with, with, with some crops and, and, and stuff. So uh, yeah, here in the, in the coast, uh, I mean, we're, we're, we're working in a, probably in a very Western, you know, style of seeing life, you know, uh, if you go to the Andes and, and, the, and the Amazon, the, the cosmovision is different. Uh, and still we're in the process of, of just understanding a bit of that. And, and f to talk about the different philosophies where they're like a vertically integrated universe as opposed to just kind of that, how 
did, were you aware of that growing up? Is that something that as you explored Peru, that type of philosophy and way of seeing the world as, you know, what's below and what's above? Did, how does that, like, affect Well, this you? duality, like, you see, like, dualidad, like, right? Like, uh, like uh, right or left or up and down and this kind of stuff. I mean, in, in, in the end, this, in the, in the, in the world, in the end, is very marked. And, and you know, um, uh, I met one, one person, he told me, like, you know, Territories Peru is like a wrinkled paper, and you know it's full of micro. You know everything. When you wrinkle a paper, like you see all these different points. Okay, but this is our territory. You know, it's these different different microclimates are happening. So different seasonalities are working in these different microclimates. So it's very difficult for us to understand seasonality. Uh, you know, I was I was coming from abroad, and I was coming with this structure of seasonality, you know, to respect the seasons. And then I guess I came to Peru like 25 years ago. Uh, well, people were saying like, what, what season? I mean, if we're up and down. And so uh, this idea of seeing uh, Peru uh, in altitudes, uh, it's, um, it's, it's something that is, is coming from, from the truth. Of, of what what people of what people in the Andes uh, believe, because it's a, it's a, in the Andes it's, a, it's more about beliefs, not about not much about science and religion. Uh, you know, the search of the truth is, is more about beliefs. So um, yeah, then, then we start to do to think about like uh, you know going up and down, and then we start to stru uh, to structure. Uh, menus or ideas based on, on the altitudes of, 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 of Vietnam. No. It's incredible just to have the range of people and, and the thoughts and beliefs. Do you find that there's conflicting beliefs as you continue to explore and discover new ecosystems that, you have, that hold kind of almost a dichotomy where you'll run into one part of the Andes that holds one set of beliefs, go to the Amazon, another set of beliefs, and then you have to find a way to synthesize it in the restaurant? I think it's, 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 a, the, um, it's a good example of, of globalization in a way. Like uh, you see, you know, uh, different varieties, and, and, and you know, you see different, you know, um, ways to, to the, the people believe or think or, or, or just you know live. And um, yeah, it's quite uh, sometimes quite contradictory. Like uh, I, I just cannot say like. Oh, all the people in the end they think in the same way. Like, uh, I mean, like uh, we we work with two communities in, in now in, in our restaurant in Mill, and uh, these two communities they are very close, but they think in a different way. Uh, I mean, if you go to the to the Amazon, it's, it's another world. Um, and yeah, and now we are actually in, in Lima. So, uh, uh, well, there's 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 a lot of things to do. Of course, gastronomy is 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 amazing to to, to have a to, to, to have an approach, you know, on, on it and and, and, and just to, to try to understand. But, but, but yeah, as I as I was saying, like uh, in the end, like uh, you get this feeling like you are you are understanding just a little bit of what's really happening. Have you seen that different belief systems lead to cooking different types of dishes or using ingredients differently? Oh yeah, a lot, a lot. Like, yeah, using ingredients in a different way, using ingredients, you know, when they are, uh, well, uh, probably not in the best uh, time uh, or not in the best season or, or just, you know, because of beliefs, people, it's just, you know, 
preserving uh, ingredient for you know for the next uh, uh, ten years or stuff like that. Or yeah, we, we do see that a lot. I mean, the, the, the way just to put just one simple example, just the way people is is is, um, is using the cacao. Like people don't see cacao as chocolate. People see cacao as a, as a as a fruit where you chew the, the white pulp and then you spit up the the, the 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 seed, which is actually the cacao, the chocolate, and and many other stuff that you know. People also use the the the, the, the skin of the, the whole pot of cacao. So um, there are many uses that, that are different. You know, uh, even pachamanca, uh, watia. You know, when when you cook uh, potatoes on the ground or, or different ingredients on the ground. You know, meat. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, I, every time I, every time I go to, to to the Andes, I see I see different stuff going on and and, and different ingredients. Do you ever see anything? You know, we now need to go back and change the way we cook that. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, uh, um, you know, sometimes I, I have this feeling that I'm, I'm getting lost of, of, of information. Like, uh, like uh, that's why we have this group, and that where we create like a few years ago this, this team of, of people that really is looking for something like uh, interesting, important that probably can make a few changes. Things that probably could, uh, I mean, things that are working in the restaurant. But then I thought that uh, these things are, are, are just going beyond the restaurant. And, and you know, in the end, the restaurant is a platform just to showcase that what's what what's happening in the end is what's happening in, in, in the Amazon. So, um, yeah, we get this feeling that uh, we are we are having uh, little by little a better a better approach to to understand. Uh, new things um, and yeah I mean like in my case I, I, I'm, I mean in, I mean this last year I've been I've been going to the others like uh, once I go to Cusco like once a week maybe which is a lot like going from Lima to Cusco door to door is like maybe like three or four hours uh, uh, I only go for one day or maybe two days uh, uh, but you know it's, yeah, I came back so much with so much energy, you know, to, to, to cook. So it's, in a way, it's changing the way we are we're working now. I mean, we got the feeling that we are having, we're having a, a unique approach of, of our nature. I do understand, having traveled around a bit, why you need to leave Lima sometimes and and be refreshed. Well, Lima is still a chaotic city. I mean, like, uh, it's, uh, you know, the traffic is crazy. Uh, but, but you know, Lima is becoming now a place where people is coming to 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 eat, and you know, people is you know looking for reservations in restaurants, and uh, I would say like Lima is getting crazy. I mean, we've we've never uh, thought of that we were we were we were supposed to be in this situation where where I mean, which is very positive, but but where people is coming just for for, for restaurants, and, and yeah, it's quite amazing, but. But I mean, yeah, yeah. I need to, I need to, I need to stay away from 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 Lima once in a while and and just go to to, to some natural spaces, natural area where you know where I get this feeling like I can I can go on with my cooking. We're gonna take a quick musical break and we'll be right back here on Snacky Tunes. Dream last night. You were there dancing. 
This episode is brought to you by Brooklyn Botanic Garden, a stunning 52-acre garden in the heart of Brooklyn featuring spectacular plant displays year-round. Make the most of the last days of summer on Thursday, August 22nd at Brooklyn Botanic Garden's Beer and Bocce Benefit, a one-of-a-kind garden party featuring lawn games, live music, and unlimited beer tastings by some of Brooklyn's top beer makers. Proceeds from the Beer and Bocce Benefit provide essential support for the garden's educational and community programs. Learn more about Brooklyn Botanic Garden at bbg.org. One of the most interesting things about this restaurant is cooking with unknown ingredients. Most places that you would go to, you know everything down to the herb or the shell that's in there. There's such a confidence one with cooking things based on flavor not being able to identify but also confidence in your country and the ingredients that you're projecting and yourself of saying we don't know what this is but it tastes good or we know how to use it was it a leap of faith to begin cooking that way given that your background was fine european dining where you knew everything it was very classic yeah well, I think we start to, to believe on creating, believe on creating new memories. I think uh, that's, I think that that's the whole point of what, I mean, yeah, that's very important. Like, uh, I know, I know that probably seventy percent of the things that you're trying, uh, you you have, you are not able to recognize, and, and 
and we do enjoy doing this. Like uh, I mean, like I, I see people like uh, they have no idea what they're eating, uh, but somehow like uh, they remember something that they similar. And yeah, I just I know we're we're using unknown ingredients, but those unknown ingredients have something that has something related to something that you probably tried before. Yeah, that's that's a good point because in a way you are not getting lost. I mean, you're having 16 courses, uh, probably three hours. Uh, you know, if if one hour pass by and, and then you 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 don't you don't get any attention to, to what you're eating, uh, probably you, you get lost and you get bored and, and, and then you want to leave. Uh, I mean, we don't we don't we don't want we don't want that to happen. So there are few things that probably you recognize. Of course, you recognize what's you know seafood. Uh, you know something that's coming from the sea. You recognize something that's coming from, from you know vegetable roots. You know, but, but of course it has to. It has to be. It has to be something that probably you've never tried before. But that's the whole point of coming here. I mean, like uh, uh, I said, like uh, I mean, like uh, you're coming to, to Central, and, and and yeah, you you have to try things that you've never tried before. That that's that's that, that's it. That's important. Uh, I want you to experience something new. I want you to 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 be like to be like feel like you're playing with, with something new. Uh, in a way, like um, you know, a few things that probably you're trying uh, are things that probably we've tried like a few weeks ago. Like it's kind of uh, we're playing the game of that you are exploring with us. Uh, there, this is very emotional because uh, uh, in a way, uh, and we share that. I mean, like uh, we tried this. Before, I mean, we've we've tried this like a month ago, uh, and and I mean we've we have uh, some knowledge because. Uh, uh, it is something. Uh, uh, it's something about tradition. It's something that uh, we are just getting this information because you know somebody came from, from this, you know, far region in in, in the in, in the north Amazon or wherever. So this is quite important. But there are a few things that probably, of course, you recognize. I mean, like uh, of course, we're serving coffee, we're serving cacao. I mean, like I'm serving. Serving fish, uh, we are not that weird. Uh, <laughs> but still, yeah, I can assure, like, uh, probably that, that, that the vegetable roots, uh, uh, the fruits that you're having here, um, even the, some of the seafoods you've never seen before, uh, and uh, it's quite uh, interesting, you know, the shapes, the textures, uh, the forms, uh, and, uh, and the taste. They have to be. They have to be different, difficult, and they have to be intense, and um, they don't have to be superior to anything, they, they just have to be like, a, you know, they have to be fluent. Alive. Yeah. <laughs> How do you find the filter between new, exciting, what you've already had has been tried and tested, and then also pushing your diners up to a point, where does that balance in your brain lie? You know, uh, I try to work on my empathy. You know, uh, <laughs> like uh, we're cooking for something like uh, yeah, a few days ago I was seeing like uh, for a week maybe we're cooking, we're cooking for forty nationalities, yeah, and and, and people is coming from. Many parts of the world, and, and, and they are like uh, expecting something they've, they've never tried before. So, 
they allow us they allow us to, to, to go a bit far, but not that far, you know. So I know we are you know in the limit, you know, and uh, I have to mark that limit uh, where you know uh, it cannot be that weird. Uh, I mean that weirdness is for our test kitchen, our lab. But you know, uh, I work with a team of, of uh, you know the, the guys in the kitchen. Uh, they're they're producing now very weird stuff. I'm like, I mean, this is too weird. I mean, like, uh, just let's make it more like a, I don't know, accessible to your eyes. Uh, it cannot be that you know uh, violent, maybe. Like, uh, it cannot be that you know um, uh, difficult to understand. So in a way, I, I get this feeling that, yeah, I mean, probably we're creating new memories, but there's something that you're grabbing from this that you probably know, and you probably you, you don't know it. It's almost like you're stretched on the arm. You have to touch something, but you could be stretched all the way to the edge. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there is a complicity. I mean, like uh, between us. And between the people, if you see the dining room uh, and the kitchen, we're just in front of the people, so we're able to see the people people's reaction. It's just not about like we are seeing people like all the time, but I mean we're just seeing like uh, how the people is reacting to, to, to stuff, and, and we know how far we can go because we still we keep changing menus and we keep changing dishes. So um, I mean having this uh, interaction with people is is amazing because. Uh, we see how, how much people is uh, enjoying or probably not enjoying. You mentioned that you are getting new ingredients all the time. Now that Central has been established for a, almost a, a decade, are people from all over Peru bringing you unidentified ingredients? Are they showing up on your back door and they say, we have this thing that we've grown in our culture and we want to give it to you and this is how we've done it. And they're now coming to you as you opposed to you going to them? Yeah, yeah I would say there's a new trend now that people are just knocking our doors and they are saying, okay, I'm having this, could you do, could you do something with this? I'm like, oh, wow, really? what is this? Okay, bring it on. Uh, but yeah, we used to we used to go for, for stuff before, uh, a lot. Uh, I used to go before, a lot. And, 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 and now I'm, I'm just staying more in the kitchen. I'm now staying more like in the dining room with, with, with you know, with a whole team of, of you know, when they, with with a uh, with a uh, with a researcher or the anthropologist who is always called, uh, telling me like uh, news about what's going on in, in, in our new place in Cusco. Um, but yeah, you know, uh, the systems are changing. This is this is very very fun in the end because um, you know seeing people coming with ingredients and seeing people very confident. Uh, uh, with new ingredients and, and trying to 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 get you know some attention uh, with their food uh, is is good because I see that you know our our kind of identity you know it's like a, it's growing you know like a, we're we're very proud of our regions you know people who's coming they're coming from different regions of Peru. And they're just coming to just to show one ingredient or one thing or just you know one piece of landscape. You know? Family is really important here. You work with your sister and your wife. 
yeah. What <laughs> we are a family show as well. Okay, um, cool. There's a comfort and tension in working with with family. Um, how has it pushed Central um, and all of your other endeavors to be a better version of itself? Yeah, um, um, I. I I got uh, I got along very well with my with my with my uh, with my sister who is uh, the director of, of Mater, uh, the, the researcher. And of course, I got I have to got along very well with my with my with my wife. <laughs> and we do we be, I mean we've been working in Central for maybe ten years, yeah, and 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 we've been all the time in the past together. So, um, of course, you, you get you get at one point uh, of of understanding where I mean you you don't even have to speak. I mean, it's just like a, you know, we see ourselves and, and that's it. Uh, in the kitchen, things are going very fast, very quick. In in, in probably in, in matter in initiative, in, you know, where we are planning, you know, what to do next. Um, yes, yeah, it's, it's difficult to come to an, an agreement, uh, but yeah, I think we are here. We are very calm, and um, you know, I think there's no, there's no. We think that there's no room for for, for complaints, you know, for being negative and, and stuff like that. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, things are not uh, that easy as they could they could sound. Family has a way of keeping things honest. So, are there ever uh, instances where Pia or uh, Malena, your sister, will say, "Chef, that's too weird"? <laughs> yeah, yeah, all the time. They are doing all the time. That, like, uh, yeah, yeah. They all, they all the time. Uh, you know, I, I, I have this impression that, of course, it's not the impression. I mean, uh, I know that uh, I need them. Like, uh, uh, we work together, uh, and it's not about. It's not about what I do, what I decide, about what we decide. Um, I listen a lot to what, what, what Malena, my sister, what she, she has to say. Um, and I listen a lot. I mean, I'm trying to replicate what, what, what Pia is doing in the kitchen. I mean, he's, he's now uh, directing the, the both kitchens, Koyi and Central. Um, um, I work more on the ideas that are just in between the research area and, and the restaurant. So, um, you know, I think uh, at this point we kind of find, uh, we kind of found our, our, our positions and I think that's cool because uh, uh, we need, we have to know how far we can go. And yeah, of course, uh, we have to be very honest. I mean, very, very open to listen. And, and so far things are getting good. I mean, we're having good results. Um, for a final question, two sides of the same question. For people who are coming to Peru for the first time, um, what are some common misconceptions and things they don't understand? And then as someone who has been studying Peruvian cuisine, what are some things that you still don't understand and questions that are still raised? Well, one of, one of the, thing, the, the things that I, 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 wasn't, I, I wasn't able to, 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 to respond was like, uh, why are you doing something that could be like called fine dining where you are in a country where you know like we're still struggling with many many things and, and, and yeah now I have I, I can say like oh yeah like uh, 
we are kind of a good embassies to, 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 to visualize things that probably you've never seen before. Uh, uh, we have a responsibilities to, to make uh, uh, our producers uh, grow uh, with their staff. And then, uh, what was the second one? What are you, as someone who's been studying Peruvian cuisine, like what's, what don't you still understand? Or what are questions that still loom large? You know, yeah, I keep, t- I, keep, I keep mentioning that, you know, uh, nowadays people are thinking about like Peruvian cuisine is, is, is the, I mean, is this, of course, this melting pot of uh, different cultures that happened yeah, like 500 years ago, uh, from the Incas to the Spanish, then to the Japanese, Chinese, Arabs, Italian, and, and you know, I mean, uh, what, what happened with this natural fusion is, is, is great, it's amazing. Um, that makes you know Lima uh, a very gastronomic uh, destination, but I think we should go like f- uh, further. I mean, like uh, I think uh, I keep I keep I keep I keep telling this to to, to, to to young guys like I mean, what if we think what were what we as Peruvians were eating or maybe as a South Americans as Latin Americans as, as Americans what we were eating thousands of years ago. Uh, because uh, the, if we just see our biodiversity is huge, and you know many ingredients, you know, are just there, and we just don't see them. Amazing. Well, chef, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. I know you have to get to service. Um, where can people find you? How can they make reservations? How can they follow your research? How can they bring you ingredients to your back door? <laughs> <laughs> No, thank you, thank you for 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 the interview uh, and for the conversation. Of course, uh, yeah, I'm here in Lima in Central Restaurante in Barranco, which is our new location, and then uh, uh, we are in, in Cusco in Mil, in the middle of nowhere in the Andes. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, we're going to take another quick musical break, and then we'll be back with the second part of Snacky Tunes here on Heritage Radio Network. Spend some time, a little bit of money Capture the ride You'll hold the lens and let's pretend Monday's never coming I'm in some dream Living in your company I'm in some dream Living in your company
see you spend a lot of money. Spend the night. Back out your room, one a spoon, a little honey. Lime in some dream, living in your company. I'm in some dream, living in your company. Are you enjoying this podcast? Heritage Radio Network has plenty more. My name is Kathy Array, and I'm the host of Eat Your Words here on HRN. Every week I sit down with food writers to talk about their newest work, from colorful cookbooks to food memoirs to exposés on the food industry. It's all meaty topic for discussion. You can find Eat Your Words wherever you listen to podcasts and on heritageradionetwork.org. Hello, and welcome back to Snacky Tunes. We are at the legendary... Danger Bird Records studio in beautiful Silver Lake. Ah! We are with Tropa, Mahika, the Pacheco brothers, David and Renee. Welcome to Snacky Tunes. That's Renee's mating call. We're actually only doing answers uh, in whistle form only, so you are all set. Interesting. Interesting insight. Um, so, so leave the smoke signals outside. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you guys are brothers. Uh, who's the older brother? Uh, we like to play around with people, so uh, 
Depends. It depends on the day of the week. Depends so, on the day. Yeah, sometimes <laughs> Renee could be the older one, sometimes I could be the older one. All right, um, so did you guys grow up playing together when you guys start getting into music? Mom and dad into music? Grandpa, grandma into music? No, we were just always together. Um, we grew up together, bonded at a very early age. And, and as we became teenagers, we, we went our of. own separate routes, but we were eventually reunited, not just by music, but also by... Marijuana. Oh, yeah. Yeah, uh, Renee caught me uh, smoking weed. I started smoking <laughs> weed a little bit before him, and um, I would smoke it outside of the house. And, smelled good. And then he's just like, what are you doing? And I'm like, oh, fuck. And I'm like, you want to try it? And, uh, and then if it was, you don't even try it, I'm going to tell my mom. Yeah, oh, yeah, that's always a good thing. You know, as as a brother, the way they let your, <laughs> let your brother do things, be like, I'm going to tell mom and dad. Yeah, and then, uh, and then we had a day where we both stitched, and uh, we bought, like, a gram of, um, at the time, there wasn't, it wasn't clinical weed. It was, um, yeah. you either got, like, a Pretendo or, like, uh, or, like. Chronic was the chronic. main thing, and Kush was coming out. Kush oh, was, yeah. like, 25 bucks yeah. a gram or we something. We got Chronic, though, and it's the best I've ever heard the Doors, uh, Riders on the Storm. Yeah. yeah, I think the Doors were meant for uh, smoking weed or yeah, we maybe we gotta do the stoner things you know yeah because i mean I, i've been smoking weed long enough and i mean there's a lot of people out there who smoke weed like like at, at in big amounts to the point where like the best high you're ever gonna get was when you first tried it right yeah and and yeah because man those were one of the days where i was like oh man this is something now i'm just like i can like you know, function with it, so it's a little different. But when when I get to remember back to those days, riding on the storms, leaning my head, thinking I'm floating, but I'm falling off the couch. You know, it was cool, man. It's cool. <laughs> yeah. So when did you guys go from smoking weed and listening to music to smoking weed and making music? Uh, right away. Um, once we once like we kind of were like both smoking weed because at the time like it was it was still taboo. Yeah. So you know it's like you're not supposed to be smoking weed. Once we started doing that, um, especially we, with like a Mexican family. Yeah, we started we started bonding and like our interests started kind of bonding as well. You know, forming together and and I and we like would, I, we I got, got to, shows just to smoke weed sometimes. Yeah, because you know yeah. I couldn't smoke at the house and like I wasn't young enough to like go my or I wasn't old enough to go to my own places. But you're like so let just, let him take me to shows. It's a safe spot. Yeah, yeah we kind of. To, we would go to places like the Smell or like backyard shows or oh, like yeah. Pear Space. Um, it's not there anymore, but uh, right there in, um, on Glendale used to be right there. Yeah. And uh, yeah, we would go to those spots. They were all ages spots, and you could smoke and yeah. Yeah, like anybody who's like trying to try something new outside of your limits, you know, you're you're gonna end up betraying either your parents' trust a little bit, you know. Yeah. Because you know they they have their way of. But it's not supposed yeah. to be mean. It's just yeah, you gotta yeah. be. You gotta yeah, be I didn't do it as an offense to them. I yeah. just really dug it. It was fun. <laughs> yeah, it uh, was, and it kept me out of trouble. <laughs> so uh, being Mexican in like the punk rock scene, like with yeah. the smell things like that, which is not always I mean it's n mostly white at times like those like DIY underground scenes yeah. where did you guys feel that you fit in where did you guys want to do musically like what did you or did you just never even see that because you both you, it was just like we love the music race is not an issue at all yeah surprisingly for us yeah. it was never an issue like um, we would see like it wasn't until we went to college and we took our first like Chicano studies yeah. class yeah. that we started like I, I blame college actually for like no. Racist. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know racism existed until I went to college. No, it's kind of no. true. Like you know, you understand like uh, so, like uh, like social like it, structures. It, it leaves and, you mad, but I mean, so if you can um, if you can like find a, a solution to like to you know like know that about you and kind of go your way and like it kind of makes you stronger. 
You know, like whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Or stranger. So, so we embraced like uh, all types of music. Like when we were going to the smell, this was a, around the time when like Mika Miko and oh, New yeah. Age were blowing yeah. up. Yeah, yeah because uh, so when we still, when mid to late 2000s. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. because yeah, uh, being Mexican in the punk scene, like that's all I saw at backyard shows. Like everybody, you know, like we yeah. all looked like I remember each other. we saw Fiddler like at the Five Star oh, Bar. Wow. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah and, but it was like our, our interest in music that took us other, uh, you know, other places and we weren't really thinking like racism, racism. We just very and, much and thinking it, melodies, the cool structures, about, rhythms. The cool thing about the LA underground scene was that it was a lot different than the East LA backyard punk scene because in the East LA backyard punk scene, it was very like everything was the same. It felt like everybody was trying to sound either as hard as, and heavy as you could or as skull as you could. But with like places like the Smell and Paris Space or like the little places that were around at the time, the, the Echo Curio on Sunset, there was the Alka Gallery. Right there on Glendale too. Yeah, Those that's places true. like booked a lot of different types of bands. Like you know, you had the Meishi, or you had like oh, um, you heard of them? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah well, like, I remember so when Echo was, Park was like starting to pick up its pace before, like, for like, this like, like, like music at its, scene that it at its birth of gentrification. Like you yeah. know, but like we didn't even know that term at the time. We just knew that like As there was it. something yeah. going on. And we're like, and then it was until later we're like, oh, that's yeah. the term for that. Yeah, because like, we were still kids, you know. As kids, you grow up, you're sort of thinking like naive. everything's pretty, everything's beautiful, the world, and then you sort of learn the truth a little bit here and there. And you're kind of like, oh shit. And so that 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 doesn't like we tried not to let that affect us as creatives. We try to just sort of like understand that, you know, um, understand the truth and let that help us continue to grow as creatives. Awesome. Well, let's hear a song and then we're going to get back into when we come back, we'll talk about the first band and how you guys started to start defining your sound. Yeah, uh, definitely. What's the first song you guys are going to play? Uh, we're going to, the first song we're going to play is called uh, Morena. Okay, cool. Yeah. Any story behind it? Uh, Morena had actually started with a riff that Jason would play uh, on uh, like at sound checks, and, and I'm like, hey, play that riff again. And then we wrote a melody around it and some chord structure. Oh, yeah, do you want to shout out the other two guys in the room? Yeah, so we have Davis on piano. Uh, he plays piano, keyboard, uh, or like synth, organ kind of sounds. Uh, and then uh, Jason, who's been with us, he's actually been a fan of, of our music since like before Tropa Magica, and he, he once posted a video on Instagram where he's uh, playing one of our songs, and then. Four months later, he joined the band. That the has got to be the most awesome, surreal. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that was a good day. That was a good call or email, and right? It's funny because he was joking around saying, oh, you're hired. And four months later, sure enough. <laughs> Man. There you go. Hey, dream big. Yeah. You never know. You never know. Take a risk. All right, here we go. Uh, Tropa, Tropa Mahika live on Snacky Tunes at Dangerbird Record Studios.
Ooh, that rips. Ooh, that rips real hard. Thank you. Um, so before you were the band that you are now, you actually had an earlier iteration, uh, The Commons. Yeah. And uh, you guys, in addition, that also sort of defined a new type of sound um, that was sort of like cumbia, but like your own sort of like punk rock thing. So how did you guys start your first band? When did you guys decide that you wanted to play together? And then how do you start to define your sound, especially when it was something completely new? We decided to play together when David needed a drummer. Oh. And I already had been practicing drums myself. And you had the blackmail weed thing on there, too. <laughs> so everything fell into place from there. Yeah, and then like coming out of the, like experiencing the LA scene around that time, you know, like late 2000s, you know, before 2010, um, it was very interesting because at that same time we started, we went to college, you know, we had dropped out of like college, like community college, and we were just working, trying to do music, and, yeah. uh, and then we decided to go back to school, and it was around that time where we started like, um, kind of like embracing our roots more and trying to like find like our, our identity per se, and um, we started listening to more of a, like, I guess like regional music you know like uh the Ruta chicha had a big influence on us but since we had like all this like these years of experience with bands like mika miko meishi you know um it we weren't able gonna we weren't gonna be able to do it authentically anymore so at that point because that kinda, punk had seeped in yeah at that I point mean, we were like we were once trying I to get inside of you we were trying to be noage for a good while like we were trying to do it as a two-piece and then Ooh. yeah I, and that was I hard was, yeah, Kumi is a two-piece. I don't know if that's... Yeah, you need the bass. You need that bass. <laughs> you need that driving bass. And, um, and yeah, we went through, like, a dozen basses, uh, just trying to, like, gel, find our sound, and... Um, find our voice. Yeah. yeah it took us a lot of ingesting to do. We were very curious, so we, we were um, discu um, experiencing a lot of different bands, going to different... You know, just yeah. going to different areas that... Yeah. That, um, and then Boyle Heights, that's when we started noticing uh, more, like, Latino bands, like people that like had similar mm. backgrounds, like as us, where but it was kind of weird because we felt like outcast there because we felt like the music we like was too white, you know, like and they were more like hardcore, like rootsy, like you know, like you got to play cumbia straight up like this, <laughs> and we felt very like, oh, like but left, I like fucking distortion, yeah, 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 yeah. This hit, yeah. I mean, yeah. did you find as you were sort of defining yourself and you find yourself one foot in, you know, the punk scene? Uh, which is like a, the white scene and then like the Boyle Heights, which is more of yeah. the Mexican scene. Like, how long did it take for you to sort of find comfortability and acceptance with the music you were making? Like, when did that start to gel? Three years. It was, yeah. uh, with the comments, it was three years. It was in until we saw this band called uh, Cumbia Queers from Argentina. And they mm -hmm. came to, to Boyle Heights. They played at this little dive bar. And, um, and they, they do like, it's like a bunch of girls, you know, ladies, women. They they do the the cumbia style, and it's very aggressive, like you know, with distortion guitar, distorted guitars, um, synths. Um, they I don't did think a, it's aggressive. I just think it's unapologetic. Yeah, like they're gonna they, do what they're there to do they and what they like wanted a, to hear. They did a cumbia version of Iron Man, but Black Sabbath, and that's when Renee and I looked at each other, and we were just like, boom, like light bulb went on, and it's like, it's okay to be different. Like, yeah, because, because prior to hearing them um, play cumbia in that in that in that form in that style, 
in which it wasn't just like your typical clean or not typical. That's that's messed up. Just like it wasn't your clean, traditional. Yeah, it wasn't your cut clean, you know, form of cumbia. This was something a lot more grittier and something that we could accept as like uh, cumbia more punk, cumbia punk, us. you know. Yeah. Um, that attitude like just really called to us and let us know like it's okay what you're doing, you know. Like you you guys aren't playing it the way it's supposed to be sounding, but through hearing them. It was like a beautiful blessing, like, keep doing it, keep yeah, doing it. Because they did a cover of Iron Man in a cumbia, you know, cumbia style. I'd never heard anything like so that. So it's like, and now, so now for you, those of y'all that are listening that don't necessarily know what cumbia is, um, it's very defined by, it's very much defined by its uh, bass rhythms and its percussions. And the percussions would be very much like a, a guido sound, which sounds like a... So any song that's on like 4-4, you can turn it into cumbia. I mean, you guys have been known to cover Nirvana. Yeah, yeah, we covered yeah. some Nirvana songs. We did, um, I mean, we joked around and played a bunch of different little cumbia melodies. Now, uh, you did the commons for a while. Six years. Six years. And then you decided to change to Tropa Magica. What made the change? Why did you want to change? And was it hard to, I mean, to rebrand yourself as a band, uh, but not changing, like, who you guys are? It was like you, like, one guy left. Yeah. Like, what made you want to decide um, to change it up, and, and how did the fans, how did the people who loved you guys deal with that as well? So this is a three-part question. Three-part question. So, um... What made you want to change? What made us want to change? How did that change go, and how did the fans take it? Yeah. My answer for the first one might be different to David's, but for me it was just very uh, simple. It was an evolution. When we started the first band, it was uh, the, the first name that, or when we started The Commons, the name was just something we grabbed really quick and ran with it because we needed a name. But as we kept growing well, well, as we musicians... What we kind of was like, you know, it wasn't the name that was going to define us, it was our sound that was going to define us. And yeah, and so afterwards we realized like, okay, now we want to switch it up because for me, like, we had changed as musicians our sound completely shifted and so it, it was like david kate came up to me and was like what do you think about changing the band name to this and at first i struggled but it immediately became clear to me it's like yeah we've become something else mm. we should call ourselves for something because now we were able to name ourselves as opposed to just take whatever name we could have mm. yeah, so we, we had a more with... bigger sense of purpose and we knew what we wanted of what we were going to continue to do because yeah, with the commons um what happened was that we had another band called hello my name is red um, the acronyms for that was like HMNR, and uh, we did that for four years, and then we stopped that band to do the Commons, and we had a radio show at KXIU, and they were like, so what should we bill you guys under? And we're like, okay, well, just, we threw that name out there, and then it just kind of stuck. Mm. Um, yeah, because we played a show once uh, right before we became the Commons as a no-name band, <laughs> 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 where I did a song without drums. It yeah, was really but awkward. What inspired the shift, too, it was also like, you know, um, 2017 for the Commons, our band. It was like it was a really great year. We played Coachella. You know, we had done Tropicalia. We got a lot of good press. LA Weekly. You know, LA Times. We're talking about our band. And to me, it felt like it. It felt like all right. What are we gonna do as a band that's gonna surpass this? That's gonna, you know, kind of create the next thing. And 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 in my head, it's just like there's nothing. We're like, what? We're gonna win a Grammy as the Commons? And I, sure. I I didn't feel that like that was gonna happen with the Commons. So. I was just like, you know, just reinvent ourselves, let it die so that something stronger could come out of it. Like a Pajonix, Phoenix. From the ashes. Yeah. From the fans. 
And the fans come with you? Um, slowly, yeah. Like I think now, like it's gaining more legitimacy as like we got booked for like Desert Days. You know, we're yeah. Doing, I, I think oh, it I'm just telling. took a little while because they they, they didn't they know what to, songs they, they were going to come in here. It, you know? They were they were used to hearing the songs that we yeah, had laid yeah, yeah. out for them. But until now, now that we like been producing some work for them to hear, I, I feel like they're kind of like they're buying okay, the water's it, not yeah. that cold. I'm down to dip in. Yeah. yeah, and then we're touring, and so as people are more getting more excited, like oh, like we haven't toured like since last year, and we we were abandoned like constantly tours. So yeah, like, us now releasing an an EP singles and an LP coming out. Well, which by the time this airs, it should already be out. It, it creates definitely like a foundation for which previous fans can now base their judgment. Because before, it's just like, oh my God, they're just changing. And there was nothing to back it up unless you're like <laughs> diehard fan, yeah. which we do have our, some. Our, our first uh, show to an audience of Tropa Magica, uh, there were people who showed up. But nobody knew what they were in for, and so it, they didn't know exactly how but, to react. But they, but they were down. <laughs> they, were, they were down and swim with this. Um, awesome. All right, well, let's hear our next song. What are we going to hear? Uh, the next song is going to be Cupa Cabras, to give you an example of the psychedelic cumbia punk version of what we do. Awesome. All right, Cupa here, Cabras. Here we go.
Oh man, that rips. It rips so good. Um, so I want to go back a little bit into uh, the process of inventing a new sound. Okay. Um, because I know we touched on it a little bit in the last segment, but I really don't want to undermine or underplay really how amazing it is to come up with something that unique. And in setting out to do this new sound, um, did you guys have a conversation about it? Did you guys go, we want to do it? And Because I know that you, you've named it the Psychedelic Cumbia Punk. Um, like, when did you realize that you were on this new journey? When did you realize that you had this new sound that did take from, you know, the traditional cumbia sound and the, the backyard punk scene? That, I think, started with the song called Psychedelic Dream, in which um, it was very guitar-oriented, and then Renee began playing this drum that kind of became our signature kind of sound, guitar and drum sound. Which is like what you call like what do you call that like a soca no? It's not what I call it. It's what it's called. It's called soca. And like a, a lot of people when they hear it they'll think oh it's reggaeton. Yeah. But no hell no reggaeton took it from soca. <laughs> yeah. And um, but it was definitely a process. And once once we got in that vibe of like okay this is our sound like it just like. Yeah, and that was always our goal because I feel like any great band, you, you recognize them by their sound, you know? You don't yeah. recognize them by their name or their logo. Like, I mean, that's obviously that's a factor. Like, you know, Rolling Stones have the tongue or something. The Doors have their logo. But you recognize their sound. And then for us, that was very important. Like, we need to develop a sound that's ours. And so, I mean, we're like, we were we were performing with bands like Chicano Batman, you know? Um, yeah. Um, just like all sorts of bands that were like blowing up and so the competition was real you know and but it was also very cool to see like bands like Chicano Batman like touring with Jack White and like kind of demonstrating that like hey like like making it as a musician is like very possible you know coming from East LA and so I mean as you've seen the demographics in America change because obviously growing up in LA and East LA yeah you know there's a Hispanic Mexican yeah, like it's so it's, you don't feel like a, a minority in Southern California, right? But once you get out, you know, yeah. uh, oh, and as you see different cities change with different people, do you find more acceptance across uh, the country for your music, or does does that not even play into it? Like you just you know now because you have such a unique sound and are well known, it doesn't matter what the community is. People just love the music. I think we were um, no, it does a little bit because when we were the Commons, yeah. Like, you're gonna think like, oh, this might be like a, a garage white, band or something. Sure. White boys garage band, but, but now you hear Trova Monica, you know, you might think like, oh, you know, like, just, like maybe different. the carnival's in town. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, and um, what also what, what we were lucky and fortunate and blessed with is that like, you know, we met good like networks. You know, like Burger Records was really interested oh, yeah. in us when, like, this is like 2014, and like you know they were they were still doing a lot of stuff. And so when we first toured. <laughs> they they presented the tour, which was like really cool because people would come out to shows because we were a burger band, you know, yeah. quote unquote, like we were a burger band, and uh, and they had no idea what we sounded like until they saw like like a poster in their local like you know local community, and they're like, hey, there's a burger band, and then they look us up and they're like, you know, you guys don't sound like a burger band or look like a burger band. I mean, I have to imagine that the vibe when you guys jump on, especially your like normal indie punk show. Mm probably gets a little bit more dancey, a little bit more, like, do you see kids who normally would maybe just be arms folded or a little bit more stoic, a little bit more loose? You know, it's a trip, because when we toured with Fiddler, 
we did like three dates with them in San Francisco, Santa Cruz, and, yeah. and Seattle. And you know, their their audience is predominantly like white audience, I would yeah. assume. But they have like a good Latino yeah. audience. They have a diverse audience, but it's predominantly white. Yeah. And uh, it was but they so were funny watching them dance cumbia. Yeah, they like they got down. Like you know, it's like the, but it's their like, enthusiasm was just so that like that that's at the end of the day like what you give it up to. Like it's not to make fun of them, you know. Like why I pointed that out? It's just that their enthusiasm was in the right place. It's like us like dancing to bands like like we were saying earlier, like Mika Miko and stuff, and like being brown kids, you know, dancing to like. Yeah. And it's like that's like yeah, we like, look, vice we look, versa. Yeah, now. we look like a Doug Trio, you know, <laughs> causing an earthquake. Uh, Pokemon yeah. reference, hey. <laughs> uh, let me tell you about a kid that turns into a car one day. <laughs> Inside joke. Um, and so uh, now that you guys, you got the new album coming out, uh, you know, you're playing festivals as the new band. Where do you, where, like, where do you see the band going? Where do you want to go? Because now that you've hit the reset button, like, like you said, you did Coachella, you got people talking about you, but you know, obviously you want to get that with the new band, but then how do you go beyond what you do with the Commons? Leave the US. Yeah. Tour internationally. That's the goal. I mean, to become an international band where we tour Europe, Mexico, South America, because um, I feel like once you break over there in those areas, then when we come back to the states, it'll be like it's it's just like people like are followers sometimes, you know, which is kind of sucks. But like it's like mass thinking, you know, like group think, and it's like you know, if you're everybody not, thinks you're not gonna change history. Yeah. you know what I mean. Like yeah, it is so, what it is. So and then like in a sense, like you gotta go with the flow. Yeah, it's, it's like they told Bruce Lee, you know, like yeah, it's like like but don't everybody try to fight the water. But, but the this water. is not to say that anybody that's like picking up to what we're doing right now, like that we categorize you under that. Like now, like we really appreciate like everybody that's tuning into Droba Mahika. Like we have a lot of new people that are tuning into it for the first time who don't even know that we had another band which is really cool you that's know? bonus music yeah you know where you get in the band you go like wait they had another band with, with yeah, exactly three like, oh. but the funny thing is that like like the moment we decided to call it tropa magica everyone was like oh my god no it was like bitch when we were the comments what where was that shit at yeah. <laughs> so y'all gotta y'all gotta lay off and you know just chill out let the current flow calm the fuck down but now they're with you and now they're gonna see you yeah, well definitely. i mean it, whether, whether whether they're with us or they're not like like we appreciate those who do and reach out to us but like i've told david like you know, like, because when David and I, we practice by ourselves, like, just doing stuff, whether there's an audience or not, we're going to give it our all. I mean, I'm seeing it today. So that's, a, like, that's 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 something that's just beautiful. And, like, for those who do ride along the journey, thank you. Appreciate you. And there's more to come. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I want to thank you guys. I want to make sure we have enough time for one more song. But where can people get the new album? Where can people find you online? People can find us on uh, com or like on anything like all social media Spotify LinkedIn for the classy people just kidding <laughs> just kidding just kidding, just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. Um, so what are you going to take us out with? Uh, we're going to take you out with a little medley that's, it's like an instrumental medley well the first part is actually from the new album it's called Dia Viejo and then it's going to go into a we wrote it to our older selves. Yeah, this is a song that Renee and I like, wrote. The day we're hunched over, gray hair, and just like, yeah. cool. just like you know, just yeah. like, like this is th this is what we wrote. Like when when our when our Quincy Jones documentary exactly. Comes out. Yeah, see, yeah, because the Quincy Jones uh, documentary came Have out, you seen and it? it's on really Netflix? and it's really more about That's his good. final act, reminiscing on his first acts, first and second act. Okay. But I really just appreciated this idea of like, hey, you got to make art and music 
that your future self has to live up to. Yeah. All right. Awesome. Well, I want to do thank it for posterity. Uh, Andy Dangerbird Record. Thank you, Andy, for making it sound good. Woo! Put some reverb on it. Uh, and <laughs> thank you to Heritage Radio. Uh, this is Snacky Tunes, Tropa Magica. See you next week. One last sip of beer before here we go.
Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to learn more about our 10-year anniversary celebration, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, and more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.